Welcome to the C3 Silicon Valley Church Podcast. Senior pastors Adam and Kira Smalcom are so excited to share this message with you and believe that God will speak to you through it. Here at C3SV, we know that God has the best in store for you today and every day. Awesome. I want to preach to you uh, this morning around the subject of sin. All right, I'm going to preach to you. I know we're talking not religious campaign, but I want to talk about the subject of sin and more specifically the, the battle within that goes on with, with sin and the idea of, of inner conflict. And so uh, anybody, and so today I want to, I want to look at two, two G words um, that are going to be our words for today. Anybody watch Sesame Street growing up? Yeah. You get a word of the day. Today's word is G, Okay. And, and we're going to look at some G words, two G words specifically, uh, grace and guilt, that, that I feel are in direct contrast from each other, but, but battle for the same real estate in your mind. I also want to look at how our condition does not have to determine our position. In other words, the decisions that I have made or that I do make do not dictate or disconnect me from my destiny. So we're going to look at that today, and I want to go a little bit deeper in our study of the word this morning and build off the last several weeks that we've been laying a foundation of, of what it is to be not religious as a church, looking at the grace of God, looking at the response of God, looking at, at grace versus law. And in fact, last Sunday, we looked at the law. Last Sunday, we, we established what the law was, its origin and its, and its purpose. And ultimately, we discovered that the law, it, it, set, a, it set a bar of righteousness. It set the measure marker. It set the the measure marker of holiness, it, it revealed perfection. And it's interesting that since that, that perfection level or that measure marker has, has been released since it was given, from that moment there has been an, an attempt to attain perfection by imperfect people. So we're going to look at this this morning and look at this conflict in more detail in our, in our time together. But before we do it, I want to get to our series verse. And uh, I trust by now you know the series verse by heart in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. How many people know it by heart? Everyone's way too nervous to put their hand up just in case I pull a cack and Huey on you. Anybody? Anybody game? Anybody know Ephesians 2 by heart? I'm just going to assume that everyone's got their hand up on the inside. <laughs> All right. It's just it's like an internal thing. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. I like that part, that it's not of ourselves. It's not of, it's not of our ability. It's not by our strength. It's not by our, our good works. It's not by our skill set. It's not by our education. How many people are happy about that? Thank you, Jesus, for that. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm calling today's message, Sin and the Battle Within. Everyone say, Sin and the Battle Within. Why don't you just high-five the person either side of you real quick. High-five them. Maybe high-five. Once you've you've done that, then turn to the second person you high-five and explain why they were your second choice. Just explain it. Make amends. Creating conflict this morning. I love it. Awesome. How, how many people would suggest that 
that they are in somewhat strong. Any, any, do we have any strong people? You, you are willing to admit that you're strength. You don't, don't be afraid now to put your hand up. I'm not going to call people up on stage, okay? Just yeah, now the hands go up. Adam Hahn, yes, you, you are strong. I'll, I'll qualify. Anybody like, you know, and, and often we look, Raph, why didn't you have your hand up? You know, you look at people like Raph, like they're strong. I can see. I can just, I can tell people like us, we, we just look strong, right? And so, and then sometimes they're sneaky strong. You know, people who don't look strong, but they are. They're like a sneaky strong. They just lift up, you know, incredible things. And you're like, wow, that was a car. You know, like they just lift up really like big things. Growing up for me, I was, I would have put myself in the sneaky strong category only because growing up, I was really, really skinny. You know, when I was going through like junior school and, um, I know what we call it here, elementary school and kind of that, that type of thing. Oh, I, I didn't look strong, but I was the reigning champion at arm wrestles. In the entire school, I was the arm wrestle king. You know, anytime there was an arm wrestle, I, I would take it out. And, and it was novel for a couple of months. Everyone would try and challenge Adam. It was like a phenomenon. It was like, you know, you go to the circus, you've got the bearded lady. You go to our school, the skinny guy that can arm wrestle. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it was my reach. Maybe it was the way my limb structure worked. But I could, I could arm wrestle. Couldn't do much else, but I could arm wrestle. And I thought, you know what? I actually got a lot of identity from that. Being the guy that could arm wrestle, it kind of got me into the cool zone. It brought me into the in crowd, being able to, to arm wrestle. And then, you know, kind of life went on. Didn't do that much arm wrestling at, at school for a couple of months. And I remember some, some people joined our, our school. And one one. One lunchtime, they thought, let's bring back the arm wrestle comp. Let's do it. It might have been my suggestion, but I don't know. But, but like, let's, let's just, you know, cement the dominance again, people. And so I remember we brought back the, the arm wrestle competition. And, and in the off season, there was a particular girl who, who joined our, our school. And, yeah, you know where this is going, like... And she stepped up to the plate, and I thought, oh, my goodness, seriously, honey. You want, you want to be embarrassed right now? Like, go and play hopscotch, you know. But she was persistent, and so she wanted, and, she got, and I, I put the arm up, and then she's like, oh, oh I'm, I'm left-handed. And, and I'm like, you, you know what? No matter to me. I'll, you're female. I'm male. Male's born dominant. I will... I will just, uh, just I'm, I'm, I'm losing everyone. Okay, I'm joking. Oh, I was like, I was six years old. Okay. And so, and so I remember I thought, well, I've never, never done a left one before. I remember putting my left arm up and instantly without even saying go, she slammed me down. And I was like, well, that's unfair. Let, let, me, let me get my, my grip, you know, and you know how you stall when, you, when you're trying to just get them? In? And so I got my grip and I went to go before she could go. And then she slammed me back again. And I thought, this is just an anomaly. This is just something I'm going to have an off day. I don't know what's going on. And then I thought, well, let's go like third time lucky. Let's just try that. And then she slammed me again. And you know how you've got this one guy at school who is like the school herald. He's the most annoying person on the face of the planet, right? He is that annoying kid, and he's even weedier than you are. And he's like, instantly he takes off yelling through the whole school, he's defeated, he's defeated by the girl. And I was willing right there to 
to abdicate my throne of being the, the arm wrestle king and be known for the guy that punched the herald in the face. That was going to be my new status. Come here, you little punk. But let me suggest something to you. I want to suggest that sin is much like this opponent that not only defeats us, but acts as a herald in our life to continually to remind us of that defeat. Areas of weakness, areas where we often thought maybe we were strong, but we find out through sin that we're actually weak. And, and sin loves to make that a declaration in our life. How many people know what I'm talking about? So we're going to look at that today, in a, and we're going to look at a number of scriptures. So get ready to read some Bible. But I want to start in Romans chapter 7 in verse 14. I'm going to give you three points today. We're coming back to the point structure because by high demand, we're coming back to points. But in, in Romans here, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Roman church, a church that he didn't personally start, but it was a, a prominent church nonetheless because of its position. Rome in this day was the center of the world. And anything that came out of Rome would, would kind of go out and influence the whole world. In some way, I actually feel like the region we live in is the center of the modern world. Whatever comes out of the Silicon Valley, in effect, goes out and influences the whole world. Anybody know that? And I love what Romans is about, because Romans is about, about the message of grace. It's, it's grace to attain salvation, and grace that sustains salvation. And I feel like if there's any message that needs to be touched around the Bay Area in the Silicon Valley, it has to be a message of grace. Anybody with me this morning? And so we've got this message, and Paul here is contrasting the law and sin. Paul reveals that the law is not evil. So often when, we, when people preach the law, we, we preach like, oh, the law is so evil. But, but Paul's saying it's not the law that's evil. He says this, he says, if, if it had not been for the law, I, I wouldn't have known what, what coveting was or what, that coveting was actually wrong. In other words, before the law, we were kind of in the dark. And, and what the law did, though, as it revealed what the bar was, what that measure of righteousness was, what it did is, is it gave sin a foothold in my life. It's not the law that's evil, it's sin that's evil. But what the law did, because it showed what was good, it revealed how good I am not, so it gave sin an access point into my life to bring condemnation. And so it says this in, in verse 9 of Romans chapter 7, verse 9, it says, At one time I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came into my life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It, it used the commands to kill me. But still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can this be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Verse 14, so the trouble is not with the law. Everyone say trouble is not with the law. He says, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. Now I have underlined in my Bible, a trouble is with me, and I circled a slave, because this is uh, this is powerful language. I, I want to make my first point here. And if you're right, taking notes like all of you should be, point number one is slay, sin and slavery. You can write that down. Sin 
and slavery. And this is heavy language because just one chapter earlier, Paul, he uses the imagery of slavery and to, 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 uh, and the imagery of slavery to contrast sin and righteousness. He, he says that, that we, were, we, were, we were slaves to sin. When Adam sinned in the garden from the fall, as it's known, from that moment we were born into sin, okay? We had no choice. You were, you were born into sin. So we were a sin to slavery. And this is kind of called a prison exchange where we were slaves to sin. And when we were slaves to sin, there was, there was nothing we could do to get ourselves out of that sin prison, right? Sin, the noun sin, right? Not the verb, sin, the noun. We were, we were a slave to sin, and there was no, no works we could do that could transfer us from that, that prison of sin to the prison of righteousness. It was, it was by the grace of God. It was by the blood of Jesus. The atoning sacrifice he made was what transferred us from, from death to life, right? And I think it's interesting because even though there was nothing we could, we could do, why is it that we think that, that by what we do now, it's going to transfer us from the greater prison of righteousness into the prison of sin. You know, if, there was, if it was not by our works, if it was not by our efforts, that could nothing that we could do by our own measure, not of ourselves, if it was not by anything, we were rendered helpless. We were, we were locked down, captive, slavery in the prison of sin. Nothing we could do to get us into the prison of righteousness. It was by the grace of God, apart from our performance. In the same way, why do we think now that by what we do, by our performance, that we can be removed from the greater prison of righteousness, which is greater than the prison of sin, the greater prison of righteousness, by some way our performance will put us back into the prison of sin. This is really good preaching. You're going to warm up. It's by the grace of God. By His grace. Apart from our performance. And so Paul uses this imagery to, to kind of contrast sin and righteousness from death to life, apart from our performance. And there's this internal conflict that goes on where between knowing right and doing wrong. The conflict produces this condition, and it's a technical term that, that's known in theology, this, this technical term uh, called guilt. All right. It's really deep. We're going deep this morning, all right? I know you just came for an encouraging message. We're going to go deep. We're going to do some Bible school. So this, this technical condition called guilt, okay? How many people know guilt? Just If they didn't, the person actually didn't put their hand up, just stare them out. Just be like, you Pharisee. I'm just joking. No judgment, no judgment to check in. But here's the thing. Guilt is produced when I have violated a moral standard that I believe in. That's the definition of guilt, when I, have, when I have violated a moral standard that I believe in. Where did that moral standard come from? The moral standard came when the law was revealed. Before the law, Paul, I didn't know what covenant was. I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. But since the law came, all of a sudden I discovered what my moral standard was. I, I, all of a sudden I discovered what the measure marker was, the bar for righteousness, the bar for holiness. And since that day, I discovered that, man, I've been coveting, I've been lying, I've been stealing, I've been cheating, I've been doing all these things. And all of a sudden I feel bad for it. All of a sudden this technical term called guilt conflicts in my life because fundamentally I know that it's by grace I am saved but yet I still feel bad for what I do anybody here 
For instance, the, the law reveals that, that lying is, is wrong. So I know that it's wrong, but I find myself lying for no good reason. Uh, the law reveals that gossip is wrong. I know that it's wrong, but for no good reason I find myself talking about everyone. You know what I'm talking about? There's a conflict that, that goes on. And I, I, like, I, I like to think that guilt and regret go together. Guilt and regret, they gang up and they'll, they'll gang up on you. They, they, guilt and regret, they, when you feel guilty, regret comes in and then you find your life becomes this life of, I wish. There becomes this, I wish. I wish I didn't do this or I wish I did that. Like, I, I, I wish because we, you know, because we allow, you know, uh, our flesh to, to kind of come out in the wrong times. Maybe we discipline our kids in the wrong manner and then we, man, I wish I was a better parent. You know, that regret kind of comes into your life. Or, or maybe you have an argument with your, your spouse and you say things that cross the line. You know, you got the line in the argument. This is, this is off limits. This is, and you say the off limits stuff. Yeah, man, I, I, I wish I was a better a better spouse, a better husband. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm feeling cold up here. Show me some love, all right? Maybe it's the, the I wish I had obeyed my pastor. That, that one, that one, we know that one sticks, right? Should have done what he said. But what happens? Feeling the love. What happens is it inevitably produces condemnation in my life. It's not the guilt that's so much the focus. It's what guilt produces. Guilt produces condemnation, which ultimately results in separation. Because as I feel condemned, I withdraw. I pull back. And, And friend, the enemy doesn't need to take you out. All the enemy needs to do is to... To, to create and to, he simply uses the perpetual cycle of guilt in our life to render us ineffective. As Paul says, the trouble is not with the law, the trouble's with me and my propensity to constantly sin and to enslave myself to sin. Point number one is sin slavery. Point number two is sin cycle. Paul goes on to say this, I, I don't really understand myself, right? I do what is right. But I don't, I know what is right, but I don't do it. I want to do it. How many people know this? How many of you had this conversation before with yourself? I love the way Paul says, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows me that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. How many people know sin has a cycle? Sin's like that record player that's just constantly stuck on skip. It's it's got that little mark, you know, it's got that little dent. It's got that scratch that it just keeps going around and it hits that point and it can't skip to the next track. I I can remember when we were, uh, when, when my twins were like just starting school and and, you know, as a parent, you parent differently for each child. How many people know that? Each child's individual. And I can remember with, with Zali, we had a particular time just uh, helping her understand that punching other kids is not right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, she, she just, just kind of going back to the barbaric days. You needed, you sort something out, you step up, right? And, um, and Kira taught her that. But, no, but... <laughs> 
I can remember like just one morning, like we were getting, we were getting like letters from the teachers saying, hey, if she, if she, if she can't. She can't stop this because we're, we're in the Bay Area, people. Like, you know, Bay Area moms. It's, like, scary. It's, like, man. If, uh, anyway, so, so when I was growing up, you just sorted it out. You know what I mean? You didn't involve the parents. You just, just let them dust it off, you know. So, but, but parents get involved. And I, and I remember sitting in the car before I dropped Zali to school, and I'm like, Zali, Zali, why don't we make today a day where you be good? Why don't we just make today? Because you're a good girl. What do you make today? And, and I can remember I'm looking in the, in the rearview mirror and she's just looking at me and she's like, Dad, I want to, but I can't. <laughs> I had nothing to say. I, I was just like, she's just quoting Paul, you know. <laughs> in fact, R. Kelly had it right too, right? My mind's telling me No. But my body? How many people know that song? Well, it's not the right song. You shouldn't put your hand up. The war wages within. It's this inner battle that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh being our, our, our flesh nature and the, the spirit being that the spirit that redeemed life that God has redeemed that he took out of the prison of sin and brought into the prison of of righteousness and what happens when there is a a conflict because the desires of the heart are one thing but then we're run by the weakness of the flesh that's what it does it produces this guilt and this condemnation in our life tell me real quick to Matthew I want to turn to Matthew chapter 15 Matthew chapter 15 and there's a passage here in Matthew chapter 15 verse 21 it's an interaction between Jesus and a Canaanite woman. Now, back in the day when the law was given, when Moses gave the law, God was leading Moses and the Israelites into the promised land. Now, in the promised land, it wasn't just to walk in and, and occupy. They had to walk in, defeat, and occupy. Okay, And there was a people in the nation, the promised land, where God was leading them called the Canaanites. And so for... For all these years, and, and there was many battles between the Israelites and the Canaanites, and the Canaanites would dominate them, but then when the Israelites rose up and knew who they were in God, they would, they would overthrow the, the Canaanites. And so there was this constant battle that would wage between the Canaanites. And for years, for generations, from, from that moment until now where Jesus is having this interaction, there has been this generation and generation of hatred between the Jews and the Canaanites. And so you've got this... Situation here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, it says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman, or a Canaanite woman, your version might say, who lived there, came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Verse 23, But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. How many people know this is harsh? She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now, this is an obscure passage. 
Because at first, this passage seems inconsistent with the character of Jesus. Previously, Jesus had been healing anyone who came to him, anyone that, that was sick, anyone that was hurting. And by the crowds, they were bringing people to Jesus and they were, they were healing. And now for Jesus to ignore this woman's request kind of seems to contradict his compassionate nature. But the truth is, when you kind of understand it in the context of grace, in the context of the law, the, context, the cultural context of that day, there is an object lesson that Jesus is trying to show his disciples. And there are two interactions. There's an interaction between Jesus and this woman and Jesus and the disciples. So let me give you this context. So prevalent was this, this prejudice between Jews and Gentiles, uh, Jews, sorry, and the Canaanites specifically, that even for a Canaanite woman to approach a rabbi would be defying Jewish law. So the disciples had no compassion. They were still conditioned to think the way the law conditioned them to think. That grace applies in part. That grace has limits. That grace still bound to the law. As long as it fulfills the law, then grace extends. But how many people know grace exceeds the law? When, when Moses brought the, 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 the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on them, he had to place them under the mercy seat, indicating that grace overshadows the law. I like that. But. So the disciples had no compassion, but Jesus leads off their request to send her away. And they say, man, we're sick of her begging because it was actually, and Jesus used the terminology, the, the term dogs, because, because actually that was a cultural terminology that the Jewish people would use in that day. They would call them dogs because they were, that's how they referred to them. And so the disciples are like, man, she's constantly begging, like as if a dog, just send her away. But, but Jesus leads off this brilliantly. And he says to the lady, he doesn't respond to the disciples. He says to the to lady, because grace will speak into your life. Speaks to the lady, I was sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Don't you know who you are? Do you know that what the law says, what the law, he's, he's trying to reemphasize the law. Jesus loved to do this. Whenever a religious leader or a Pharisee would come with the law, Jesus would love to, to read the law back and just to make sure you know what the law is, is saying. He goes on to say, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. In other words, he's emphasizing what the disciples were thinking. You're not worthy under the law to be here. Just let me make sure you understand what you're doing. Make, let me understand what you're, what you're trying to do right here under the law. This is not permissible. And then comes this amazing reply. A reply so powerful in its concept that it causes Jesus to respond with, your faith is great. From calling her a dog to your faith is great. She says, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Don't miss this. The disciples were still focusing on performance. They were looking for what validated her to be in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus was emphasizing grace. In her acknowledgement of her weakness was where God's power was made manifest. In the knowledge of her unattainable ability on her own to meet the law. She couldn't change the fact that she was a Canaanite. She couldn't change the law. She couldn't meet the mark. She didn't, she didn't qualify. She didn't quantify. She didn't meet it. But Jesus was trying to emphasize that for the disciples to see how far the gap of grace needed to be to extend to her situation. In her weakness was strength. 
Point number three is this, sin's strength. Everyone say sin's strength. In 2 Corinthians 12, it says this in verse 7. This is Paul again, but to the Corinthian church. So, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my hardships, my, sorry, my, my weakness, in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Jesus was trying to emphasize in the weakness of this woman, in her condition, in her state, the fact that there was, she was so far from qualifying, Jesus was trying to give an example of grace. This is how far grace extends. And in fact, from that moment... Jesus begins to move into a time of ministry where where Gentiles from all over the place, non-Jews, were were being healed left, right and center from from that moment. But he was trying to educate the disciples. It says this in, sorry, uh, my, my grace is all you need. My power, talking about the miracle power of God, works best, or in other words, shows itself most effective in weakness. God's miracle power, God's grace is shown most effective in the midst and in the presence of weakness. Not in the presence of strength like we think. If I can do good, if I can perform right, then man, God is going to be glorified. Here's the truth, friend. God's power is shown best in our weakness. We're getting somewhere. We're going to start preaching in a minute. See, the religious leaders and the Pharisees at that time, they, they, would, they would display their strengths. They would get up and they were so articulate with their prayers and they were so, so articulate with the language they would use and they would, they would try and intimidate by what they would say, by what they would preach and how, how loud they were. And, and it was all about the performance. They would show their strengths. Jesus was trying to emphasize just how far they, they fell short. There was, it's like these three guys that were down in Santa Cruz, the the three guys, three men that wanted to jump from Santa Cruz to Hawaii. And so they're standing on the shore and the first guy decided, I'm going to go for it. He jumps out, lands about four feet. The second guy, he, he jumps out and he, he beats him, he lands about five feet. The third guy goes, look at these fools. I'm going I'm to back it up. So he runs back up the beach and gets as much momentum, as much speed as he could. And he, he takes off down the beach. When he hits the shore, he launches with every muscle in his body, every ounce of strength. He, he launches out and he lands eight feet. Instantly, he looks back and he starts to mock the guys. He starts, man, look how, how much further I came from you guys. And at that moment, the, the guy who jumped first said, yeah, but you're still 2,300 miles short. This is what religion does. Religion looks how far we have come. Grace sees the gap of how far we need to go. And grace fills that gap. That's the focus of religion. Man, have you come far enough? Have you met the mark yet? Grace has this realization, I'm not going to meet the mark. I'm so far short. All my best efforts, I get eight feet. I've still got 2,300,000 2, million feet to go. But you know what? Grace fills that gap. The Canaanite woman glorified, or gloried in the gap that grace was able to fill. 
you know, before I did Bible college, I spent some time as an electrician. I was an electrician uh, for a couple of years. I told stories. I wasn't a good one. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. It's crazy how you can go through training and still not know what you're doing, you know. And so I remember I was, I was doing electrical work, and, and, and there was a few things I did learn, though, in fundamentals of, of electrical work. And one of the fundamentals law of, of electricity, so to speak, is the law of positive and negative. How many people know that, that law? If I was to take a battery and I connect the positive and the positive, how many people know nothing happens? In the same way, if I take the battery, I connect the negative and the negative, nothing happens. But when I take the negative and I connect it to the positive, the result is power. This is the same way with, with grace. That when I take my weakness, the negative, I add it to God's grace the positive, there is a power that's produced in my life that can't come from me and my best efforts and God and His best efforts. It can't come from me and my weakness without God. It comes from my weakness with God's strength equals power. This is what Paul is saying. Grace is all you need. When you combine your weakness with His grace, this is where power comes. And the less I have, strength that is, the more grace I need. Okay, now you want me to come up real quick. See, to, to win the war within, we must understand the nature and the magnitude of this conflict between the indwelling sin and the new man. There is a conflict that happens. Paul continues in Romans 7 with this. He says, but if, if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Even though I'm free, there's still that sin, that flesh, those desires that are within me. He says this, and I love this. This is sincere of heart. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who will free me from this perpetual cycle of sin? Who will, who will free me from this conflict that I have day in, day out? He goes on to say that only by my best efforts. Are we, are we reading the same Bible? He goes on to say only by my skillful nature. Come on, let's read the word people. Paul says, come on, it's, it's only by how gifted I can be and how much I can endure. Right? Come on, let's preach the truth. Paul says, it's by Jesus and Jesus alone. It's by grace and grace alone. After all I've discovered, I am so wretched. Man, my conflict, I, I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. I have this conflict that's constantly waging. I feel wretched. I feel hopeless. I don't feel like I'm worthy to be preaching this gospel. I don't feel like I'm worthy to be having these thoughts. Come on, I, I know that what I have, what I am able to do and what I'm not able to do and what I'm not able to do, I do. And what I, what I want to do, I don't do. There's a conflict going within. The only way out and thank God, he says, is by Jesus. He's the answer. It's not about religion, friends. It's not about the, the measure marker. It's not about trying to perform. It's not trying to get to a point where then we're accepted because of my good works by what I've been able to achieve. It's simply by grace, acknowledging I need Jesus. 
I don't have what it takes. I can't meet the, the measure marker of holiness. I, in fact, I, far, I, 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 I fall far short. But thank God, it's not by my efforts. It's by grace. Undeserved, unmerited favor of God. In other words, this battle, it's relentless. But condemnation, guilt, and sin is defeated when I come to the understanding that in my weakness, in my utter need for Jesus, there is freedom from the slavery of sin. The same grace that brought me into new life is the same grace I depend on throughout my life. See, the devil would have us focus on areas of weakness in our life. That's what the devil, he, he wants us to focus on areas of weakness in our life. And, and I've got to say this, so does Jesus. God also wants us to focus on the areas of weakness because when we focus on the areas of weakness, how far we fall short, like this Canaanite woman, don't you, don't you know who you are? Don't you know how you don't measure up? Or when we do that, we begin to discover, you know what, you're right, God. In my weakness is strength. So I will boast all the more about my weaknesses. I will boast all the more about how much I need Jesus. How by His grace alone. Not how good I am. Not how worthy I am. It's not by worth. It's by birth. I was born into this. I don't deserve it. He gave it. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, I'll boast all the more about my weaknesses. Because I glorify God. For in the battle is within... And this is why Jesus went to the cross so that, so that we can win. Because that we can win that battle. Simply because he gave access. Thank you for listening to today's message. We trust you heard from God and that you're more encouraged, more refreshed, and more in love with Jesus than you were before. If you ever find yourself in the Bay Area, we'd love for you to come and attend a service. For more information about C3SV, please visit www.c3sv.com. Thank you.